Hello, I'm Rick Cottom. Welcome to Your Maryland. At 5.45 on the morning of July 24, 1868, an express train left Mount Airy for Baltimore. For weeks it had been 100 degrees or hotter, with little rain. But after the train had gone about two miles, it came under a terrible storm cloud. The sky grew black. Suddenly, there was a deluge. It did not rain, said one passenger. It poured, as if a lake had fallen in mass upon us. Thunder broke all around. Red and blue streaks of lightning split the trees and telegraph poles. As it rounded a bend well above the Patapsco River, the train plowed into a mudslide, embedding itself. This proved our salvation, said the passenger, for the flood could not sweep us off. For hours, unable to move, sixty people endured what they had never seen before. Rainwater came down the vales to the river so fast that it shot out over the edge of the cliffs, dashed through the tops of the pine trees, then struck the opposite shore. Three-inch hail shattered the car's glass windows. It sounded, witnesses said, like nothing else but the noise of battle. Soon, houses, barns, haystacks, logs, and cattle careened by. Downstream in Ellicott City, the sky grew so dark that shopkeepers lit lamps and mill workers stepped away from their looms, unable to see in the fading light. Some walked up the nearby hills, an action that probably saved their lives. One man noticed the rising water and set off to warn the mills, but was turned back by the sudden tide. In the next half hour, the river rose 25 feet. The water hit the first dams, formed a wall that rolled back on itself, sending spray 20 feet high, then broke through. Dr. Thomas B. Owings lived with his wife, six children, and a family of African-American servants in a new frame house in the center of a row of 13 on a kind of island near the Patapsco flour mill. Against his wife's wishes, he had responded to an urgent call to see a patient that morning and was on his way back when the flood struck the granite factory just upstream, shattering walls that were 20 feet thick at the base. As the flood tore at the first of the houses upstream from his home, Thomas Owings climbed onto a stone house on the hillside and called to his wife to get the children to the top floor. A neighbor boy climbed onto the rooftops and scurried across the Owings roof. He jumped into the rushing water, caught hold of a rope, and pulled himself onto the Patapsco Mill Bridge. The Gabriel family climbed into the Owings house when their own crashed against it, shoving both across a 12-foot alley. Inside the Owings house, the head of the African-American family, William, no last name recorded, seized an axe, ran up to the garret, and began chopping a hole in the roof. One by one, he pulled Margaret Owings, her children, the Gabriels, and his own family up and outside. Other neighbors cut their way into the Owings garret and climbed out until between 16 and 19 people desperately clung to the Owings roof. When it collapsed, they climbed to the next roof and the next. From the bank, Thomas Owings and others called to them to keep moving, keep moving, but the water relentlessly tore at the foundations, collapsing one house after another until the refugees huddled on the last one. Then it broke and swept them all away in the murderous, churning river. Men seized Thomas Owings to keep him from diving after his family. Thirty-six people in the little row of houses were lost that day. In the aftermath of the tragedy, the community looked for heroism. Everybody is speaking of the bravery and devotion of Dr. Owings' man William, wrote one newspaper. Another picked up the story. But soon a different man, a white foreman, was given credit for chopping that hole in the roof and pulling the families out. It was a more socially appropriate ending, especially in those first years after the Civil War, when racial antagonism in Maryland was acute. William disappeared from history. To this day, no one knows his last name.